If you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. I'm going to do it a little different today. We're going to read a couple verses at a time and then talk about them and then, and then move forward. For the entirety of the, of the morning, we're going to be doing uh, Mark 15, verses 16 through 32. But for right now, we're just going to read 16 through 20. And we are at what we would probably consider the most significant part of the text, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus. This is where Jesus has been headed since he was born in a manger. This was the purpose for which he came. This is the culmination of his entire ministry life. And we're going to read uh, how that took place. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head and with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Mark's account is very quick. And the thing that you should notice that's a little different than what you are typically hearing in a sermon, including the one you'll hear this morning, is that the focus is not on the physical, but on the mocking. In fact, as we keep going throughout this passage of Scripture, there's going to be multiple places that it is highlighted that Jesus was mocked, that he was made fun of, that he was derided is a word that is used. So this morning it's interesting to realize that we focus, when we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, frequently we focus on the physical aspect. In the scripture, in Mark's account, it dives into the way the people treated Jesus. So we do want to talk about the physical suffering. As a kid, and we've got kids in here, which is wonderful. Um, I remember vividly the stories that the pastor would tell about the crucifixion of Jesus. How many of you have those memories as well? So here's what's interesting. Kids, you're hearing something that is going to stick with you today. Here is, in verse 15 that we didn't read, it says that Jesus was scourged <clears throat> or he was flogged. And it's important for us to know how the Romans did this. And what we think is happening is Pilate, who last week we discovered was trying to find a way to just make this go away. He doesn't want to riot. He's already been in trouble for his brutal treatment of the Jewish people in the past. He knows he's on thin ice. It's a, it's a feast day feast week, the Passover, it's the big one in Judaism. He doesn't want to mess with that. The crowds are tense. 
That's actually important. And he has him scourged and then brings him back out. The scourging, it says here in the verses that we read, happens inside the palace. The way that they would do this, that's the governor's quarters, and Mark tells us that. So this is actually in Pilate's house where he's staying. They bring Jesus back in, and the way that the Romans would do this is they would strip you down to the waist, they would tie your hands to a stake, sometimes they would stretch you out, but sometimes they would just lay you on the dirt, but they probably tied Jesus to a stake, and then they brought out what is referred to in history as the dreaded flagellum, which is what I always grew up hearing was the cat of nine tails. And it was the leather whip that had braided pieces, usually nine separate braids, but they didn't always have that. And woven into the braid were rock, glass, or metal. Josephus records that he had several Jewish people beaten uh, under the flagellum. And the point of it for a crucifixion was to speed up their death because of the blood loss. But the, br the brutality of it, and if you saw the Passion of the Christ, it was a very accurate portrayal. Josephus records that he had several Jewish dissidents beaten until their entrails were exposed. It lacerated the flesh. It shredded the skin. The muscle was exposed. It was a horrific beating. It wasn't a beating that was meant to just be a punishment. It had a function. It was to cripple and ultimately lead to the death of the one that was headed to the cross. We know that at this time there's over 30,000 crucifixions that happened in this region over the time period of Jesus' life, they did this a lot. This was something they were very familiar with. And it is one of the most excruciating deaths known to man. In fact, the word excruciating is an English derivative of the word crucify. And you can hear it, excruciating. It's where the word is at. It is a horrible way to die. But there's something else that's going on here. It tells us that the entire battalion, they called together the whole battalion, a battalion of Roman soldiers. When this took place, a battalion is 600 soldiers. There might be 100 of us in this room. Multiply this room by six, but there aren't any little kids and there aren't any sweet ladies. They are all gruff men. I could go a long time talking about Roman soldiers, but I am not going to. They were gross. And they begin to mock Jesus. And I don't know why this bothered me so bad as I was studying this, but it got under my skin the way that it's described because I, you can see it. 600 guys, Jesus in the middle, having been beaten, he's bleeding, he is shredded, it is awful what has happened to him. We don't even, can't even fathom that. None of us have seen somebody beaten that way. 
And then they, because they know why he's there, to them, this is just another criminal on another day, and this guy, for whatever reason, we don't care about Jewish law, we don't care about Jewish prophecy, he's the king of the Jews, okay, this will be fun, and that's the attitude that they go, like a bunch of frat guys, drunk at a party, except they're the authority. It is the worst combination. So they start punching him. They start spitting on him. They weave a crown of thorns, and we have one represented with barbed wire, but they used some kind of bush or plant that was nearby that would have been sticky. The point was not the crown uh, of thorns itself. It was meant to mock because he's on trial. He's being convicted of being a king. So they're like, oh, king. And they put, <clears throat> they put this crown on his head, probably not very gently. And then in another gospel account, it says they put a reed in his hand, probably like a bamboo-type shoot of some kind. And they put it in his hand to mock him, and they put this purple robe on him, which signified royalty. There's only one reason to do this. It's to make fun. It's to laugh. 600 of them as he stands there bleeding and beaten, spitting on him, and then they fall down in front of him. You can picture what these soldiers are doing. All hail, king of the Jews. That's the same phrase they would have used for Caesar. Oh, this guy thinks he's a king. Oh, hail, king of the Jews. They mocked him. Then they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him. And they led him out to crucify him. I want you to keep in mind that Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Let's go on to verse 21. We're going to read through 24. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. So the 600... Soldiers, having pushed him, spit on him, punched him, mocked him, hit him with the reed, put the crown of thorns on his head. They rip off the gold, they rip off the fake purple robe. They put his own clothes, and then four Roman soldiers—that's the death squad, the execution squad—they take him away. He can't carry his cross. He was beaten so badly because typically they would make the prisoner as, as humiliation and as, as the Romans saying, we totally own you up until your death. They make you carry your own cross. And it wasn't the entire cross that he would have been carrying. It would have, it would have been just the cross beam. This part of the cross would already be on the hill. They made, they made them carry this but it probably weighed 
40 or 50 pounds and maybe more, and he can't hardly walk. Jesus was beaten bad enough that they decide, we're going to speed this up, we're not wasting time. They see a Jew, Simon of Cyrene. He is from northern Africa. About 300 years earlier, 100,000 Jews had been sent into northern Africa in the diaspora, the dispersion as it was called. And so we have an African Jew who is back in Jerusalem on pilgrimage for the Passover who just happens to be walking by. They say, you are going to carry his cross. Mark is the only one that records. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Alexander's a great name. Not necessarily sure you should name your child Rufus. But Rufus is mentioned in the book of Romans. And since Mark, we believe, is written to a Roman audience, the people who heard this, remember when we first started Mark, they're probably hiding in the catacombs, the persecuted church in Rome. When they read this, Rufus would have been there. He would have been known to the Roman church. And it's just interesting. This African Jew is there. And he's got a connection to the church because this moment changed Simon of Cyrene's life. We don't know for sure, but we're pretty sure Simon became a believer and a follower in Jesus. It would be hard to get this close to what happens this day and not walk away thinking something has happened. They bring him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. It's outside the city. They didn't want to crucify him inside the city. The festivities that are going on, they take them outside. This is probably where most of the crucifixions happened. It was. It probably was a bare, low hill. It wasn't like a mountain. It was a, it was a hill, though, that people could walk by and see what was happening when people were crucified. He's offered wine mixed with myrrh. Myrrh, they found out, could deaden your senses mixed with wine. In other words, it's a primitive narcotic painkiller. It's interesting that he was brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh at his birth. He's offered myrrh here, but he doesn't take it because Jesus is not going to have his senses dulled by a narcotic. He is going to be fully aware, fully cognizant as he suffers for us. Verse 24, it's almost like it's an afterthought. They crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. The four soldiers want to divide up his garment. And they inadvertently fulfill Psalm 22. So Daryl, if you would put Psalm 22 up there. It's verses 16 through 18. Psalm 22, by the way, is your homework for this week because it's going to come in the next week's sermon. Psalm 22 is one of the most vivid messianic psalms in the Bible. Listen to what it says in verse 16. For dogs encompass me, A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. 
I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. The power of these verses is, David wrote it hundreds of years earlier. And here is Jesus experiencing this psalm. Just as a preview, do you know what verse 1 of Psalm 22 says? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Read Psalm 22 this week. See, this is the plan of God. And even though these Roman soldiers are freely doing what they freely want to do, this was normal. It is the plan of God that they do it. So that they fulfill ancient Hebrew scripture and don't even know that they did it. Go to verse 25 of Mark 15. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Nine o'clock in the morning. Jesus is nailed to the cross beam that Simon carried. They would have nailed him somewhere in this region. The forearm up to the hand. Then they would fix that beam to the upright stake. His feet are nailed to the stake with iron nails. Actually, in the 1920s was an archaeological dig and they found the remains of someone still crucified. The nail actually went through the heel bone on both feet as the legs are crossed over each other and it's driven through. The torso is all twisted. The agony of crucifixion is you are exhausted you can't breathe. The height of the cross is important because most of the time their feet, and I did not know this, most of the time their feet was about this far off the ground. Not Jesus. If they had a particularly important prisoner or they wanted to make an important show, they would make them higher up in the air so that everybody passing by Golgotha could see. This is what we do to people who claim to be king of the Jews. We know he was up high because later we're going to read that somebody tries to give him on a reed, they have to get a stick and lift it up high on a sponge to get it to his mouth. Jesus said, if I be lifted up on the cross... Draw all men unto me. Go to verse 26. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. 
The mockery continues. He's being mocked by Roman soldiers, and now the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders. Jesus is being mocked by everybody. They are making fun. This is the moment where they are viewing it as Jesus finally getting his comeuppance. He had answered their questions, obliterated their philosophy and interpretation of the law. He had utterly humiliated them, and he had healed the sick and raised the dead, and they couldn't deny it, and they didn't care. He was clearly the Messiah come from God. They didn't care. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you to myself as a hen does its chicks, but you would not, they would not accept him for who he was. And now he's on the cross and they're saying what any evil-hearted person would say in this moment. You think you're so great? Look at you now. Come down from there. Then we'll believe not knowing that Jesus has told Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you not know I could call for legions of angels and they would rescue me? Jesus could have come down from there. But he stays there because of the joy that's set before him. He endures the cross and the laughter and the humiliation and the shame and the pain. There's an inscription above his head that says the king of the Jews, Pilate meant it to mock. It also was the charge against him, and it was the truth. He is the king of the Jews. The Jewish people didn't want it there, and they're like, that's what's going to stay there. It's interesting about the two thieves on the cross, right? We all know about the thieves on the cross, or this translation says robbers. Here's what's interesting. They didn't crucify robbers. They didn't crucify thieves, typically. They crucified murderers. They crucified insurrectionists. So just something that's interesting to note is that word robber can also mean brigand. They were probably a part of the same insurrection that Barabbas was a part of. And even though Barabbas got let loose, these guys didn't. And it's interesting to note, at the end of verse 32, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now we know how that ends. One of these guys is going to change over the next few hours. If there is any hope that I can offer you this morning, when you look at somebody you love that isn't following Jesus, and you think there's just no hope, this guy started the day making fun and reviling Jesus the same way everybody else was. But he ends the day confessing him as Lord. There is always hope if somebody's still breathing. My own grandfather gave his heart to Christ when he was 81. So don't lose heart. And don't sit there and think, I don't believe in any of this stuff. To quote dirt, you can come against God with a clenched fist and go away preaching like John the Baptist. For all of my Gen Z friends in the room, if you wanted to look at verse 29 very carefully, 
Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads in text language that is SMH. They are shaking their heads. That is exactly what they're doing. If there had been Gen Z there, they would have tweeted or texted or whatever, instead, whatever that is, you would have SMH, he said he was the son of God. Okay, just, I wanted to be relevant. <laughs> okay. But that is, when I read that, I was like, that's exactly what they're doing. They're shaking their heads. There is so much that I want to say. The theological significance of this. To quote John Piper, the cross solves a gigantic theological problem. And the theological problem is this. How can God be a just God and forgive sinners? Does he just arbitrarily declare forgiven? That isn't the way he demonstrated it throughout Israel. It was always a sacrifice. But next Sunday is when we're going to spend the time going into the theological significance and the power of what it means to us. Not that you don't get that from what we've just read. But I want you to see and to hear that part of what Jesus endured in the cross was the mockery of people. The mockery. And it's not just the mockery that would happen if you trip and fall or somebody may be mean at school that mocks you. This is mockery as you are dying. This is mockery as you're being led to death. This is a level of mockery most of us have never encountered. Being mocked as you die. He endured the cross, despised the shame, for the joy that was set before him. Next week, we'll talk about the power of sin, how it was broken. Next week, we'll talk about what Jesus really endured on the cross beyond the mockery and the pain was the wrath of God. That is the real issue of the cross. But I want to end today's sermon with John chapter 1. If everybody would turn there, I know we'll put it up here. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He came to his own. 
his own did not receive him. That's why he's on the cross. They did not receive him. When we say that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, what we're saying is this passage of scripture, God gave his son to be mocked, to be scourged, to be crucified. It pleased the Lord to crush him. Because for the joy set before him, which is you, the joy that was set before him was a people that belonged to him, to the glory of God the Father. The joy that was set before him was, while you are yet sinners, Christ dies for the ungodly. Do not be one of the people who finds themselves mocking Christ, finds themselves refusing Christ, Don't be one of the people who, it would be said of you, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Be saved from your sin through Jesus Christ and what he did here. Because the story doesn't end and we know where it goes. Three days after this, he's up out of the tomb, raised from the dead, death not being able to hold him. That's where, that's where it goes. It is the most radical thing of all time throughout all of history that God took on flesh to do this intentionally, on purpose, because he was chasing you down Seeking you to you are found. Jesus is the one. For the joy set before him is in pursuit of you to be his. Let's stand up. We're going to be dismissed. I hope some kids got some memories this morning. Parents, I want to encourage you to talk about Sunday school and this sermon throughout the week. Just like us to think about church and what we're doing and Sunday mornings as something that carries on throughout the week and has additional conversations. And if you don't have children, you have a spouse, talk to them. And if you don't have a spouse, Call somebody up from in here and talk to them. It's part of the growth that we all experience in the body of Christ when we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that it contains. Lord, many of us have heard this a thousand times, and I can hear it a thousand more that you, my God, would die for me. Amazing love, how could it be? Lord, we thank you for it. I pray that our hearts would be filled to overflowing with thanksgiving and joy over what you've done. 
and the meaning of it in our life. Lord, bring us back next week safe, ready to hear more about the impact that this has on our life. Lord, we thank you for it. If anybody's here that doesn't know Christ, turn to him, repent, call on his name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in this room and online. It's in the name of Jesus we thank you for it. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. Have a wonderful afternoon. Be a Christian as you watch the Super Bowl.